to the Dead Format, episode 42. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, Mariano Rivera Fan Club President Tom Smiley, and we're here to talk about Legacy. No. No, I don't know how you got that intro, but it's Red Sox season. Bro, number, Yankees. number 42 is, is – that's Mariano Rivera. That's not Yeah, the- that's spoken like somebody who grew up on the wrong side of Connecticut. Fuck <laughs> Mariano Rivera. So Danbury is the right side of Connecticut, so uh, I'll, gi- I'll I'll give you a partial on that one. Okay, but yeah, we made it. We made it this far. We're still producing podcasts. Forty-two episodes in. So I was going to ask what your favorite uh, Julia Roberts movie was, and whether it was Sleeping with the Enemy, since you recorded with Leaving a Legacy tonight. Listen, cross promotion is the key to success. You see, you go to the grocery store, you see Game of Thrones Oreos, you see Game of Thrones Mountain Dew, You're, we're just building hype. I'm trying to do my best for the cast, Ian, and you were on with them before the Pro Tour. Let's not, <laughs> let's not forget about that. No, we love those guys, but what grocery store are you shopping at, bro? 7-Eleven? Where, where the fucking Oreos have Game of Thrones on them? Market Basket. Bro, oh, they really? like sold out. Well, shit cookies for a shit episode, I guess, because nothing fucking happened. But the, hopefully the that first episode be... of every season, they do that. Uh, they... The first episode of last season, Arya killed all the fucking phrase. <sighs> so just saying, but okay. that, that's not going to be this episode. We got shit popping this episode. We have we have a really good guest, if, if I uh, if I may say so myself. We talked a lot about the Star City Games tour, like back in 2014, how it would do like the the two day opens, Legacy on Sunday with Cedric and Patrick, and how much that really meant to the Legacy format. And you know, like being able to watch that every Sunday, like that's what that's when I got back into the game, rekindled my love for for Legacy, and the SCG tour. I don't want to say it was villainous, but there were quite a few villains on the tour back in the day. But we have with us one of the OG heroes of the Star City tour, the daddy, Kevin Jones. Is it my cue? Daddy? (laughs) Yep. What's up, guys? What's up? I'm excited. I am, too. So you were saying that you you were looking forward to talking Legacy because you'd have some fresh perspective on it? Yeah, I mean – I just thought that it was a good time to do it because uh, Niagara's coming up this weekend and it should be a interesting tournament. Legacy is very different than it was, you know, a year and a half ago or whatever. It really is. And I think of you as a fair blue deck guy. Like, is that fair? Like, I think of St- like I think of you with two cards, Stoneforge Mystic and Delver of Secrets. Is that a fair assessment or would you say that? Yeah, that's I feel like every time I've played Legacy in recent memory – I have registered one of those two cards. So I think I can count on one hand the number of times I've played a deck that did not include one or the other. And I've definitely played a deck that included both a few times. <laughs> That's the Harlan. Don't get Harlan. But um, I think I think you wanted to be playing Flusterstorm and and that build Niv Magus Elemental. Yes. Yeah, I played I played Niv Magus Elemental in the SCG in Syracuse. You did pretty well, right? You went day two and stuff, right? I did. I lost two out of my last three matches and uh, made some mistakes on camera, but I I really like that deck, and I'm I'm in the same boat as you with being a big fan of Stoneforge and Delver. Yeah, I I um I played Sneak and Show a few times. 
But aside from that, I also played like, like survival a bunch back in the day. Um, but like ever since 2012 or 2013, it's been Stoneforge or Delver or both. Yeah, I feel that. I think I'm in that same exact boat, honestly. And looking at Niagara, this is kind of my my regular trend of things. Like, we're five days out. I have no fucking idea what deck I'm playing. But I would say there's at least a 90% chance that it has one of those two cards in it. So, Tom, where are you at with that? So I'm – I've got it down to three. So I have the blue-white Delver deck – that I played in Syracuse with like minor changes that is in my top three. I'm considering dropping the Delvers and just going bigger to play straight blue, white stone blade. But I think number one on my list right now is, is sneak and show not the Trinity tell version, but the straight uh, two Omni version that JPA had played before. I think that right now the everything is just kind of weak to what that deck is trying to do. And the number of Delvers that I expect to see is lower than it has been in a really long time. Stoneblade is Stoneblade is what I'm planning on playing. And I don't really understand what happened, but it went from a deck that people considered unplayable to a deck that people consider to be one of the best. It's yeah. Weird. It's, it is really weird. I, I will echo that sentiment. And this is something that we've been t- like kicking around for probably close to a month now, is that the format is kind of – there's no new cards coming in for the most part. It's sort of rotating around itself, and decks are becoming good based on you know attacking the, the metagame that's developing online uh, and how that influences what people are bringing in paper. So it's like there was a time that Stoneblade was really bad. But it's sort of come back around again, and just judging by the results lately, the results have gotten kind of fucked up by the London Mulligan rule, honestly. So looking at stuff online, but even this week with uh, with the challenge, we saw two blue-white blade decks come in the top eight of the Legacy Challenge. So clearly, people think it's a powerful deck, people are still bringing it, and it's still putting up results, you know? The decline in K-Command decks... That has kind of been a long time coming since the Deathrite Shaman ban has led Stoneforge Mystic just to become a better threat. And mm-hmm. the fact that its mana base is just like so basic heavy, you don't have to worry about Blood Moon, and you can actually run your own blue Blood Moon and back to basics, just it, it made that deck a lot better positioned to fight the field. And I think that there are a lot of people that are trying to bring back Grixis Control to sort of fight that, but... That's just not the same deck that it used to be. And I don't really know, other than really fast combo, what the blue-white deck has as its major predator. It's just one of the best things you can be doing in the mid-game. It has so many basic lands in it, I love it. Like, it's just... You you just fetch all these basic lands, and you can cast all your spells. And, like, a lot of legacy decks, you know, have to fetch duels, and then they get wastelanded... And some of them will play, like, one or two basic lands, so they'll fetch a dual land and then a basic land, but then when you get wastelanded, you get locked off of two colors instead of one. Like, I played a lot of Shardless Bug back in the day, and I would fetch, like, Trop and Swamp, and they wasteland you, and you just can't do anything. And, like, it's actually better to just fetch, like, Bayou and Sea than Trop and Swamp, because they can't cut off two colors at once if you have two duels in play. Does that make sense? 
100%. But you don't have to worry about any of that when you're playing Stoneblade because you just fetch island island planes and then you can do everything. Yeah, it's kind of weird to say this because this is going to sound extremely stupid, but I think that one of the biggest holes in the blue-white game is True Name Nemesis, which is kind of like saying that the deck's biggest hole is the mirror, which is an absurd statement on the face of it. But all you have explicitly to answer true name in a blue, like a blue white blade deck, would be maybe you have in your whole seventy five like one supreme verdict, and it's probably in the sideboard. And then you have like a council's judgment main, potentially two council's judgment main. But you don't have access to like the red blasts or the zealous persecution or that kind of thing unless you're reaching into another color, right? No, you have you have a judgment main, and then you. I'm gonna look at the decks that. I'm going to look at the decks that uh, from the challenge so that I can see what these Stoneblade decks actually look like. Um, but I assume, as the page is loading, I assume that they have a Council's Judgment yeah. and Supreme Verdict in the sideboard. Yeah, and you can always fight it on the stack. But to, to say that your worst, your worst matchup is the Mirror means that Man, your deck is really well positioned. Yeah, the, that does sound one, good. Yeah, the one hole that you're talking about is, all right, well, somebody could play the exact same cards that you do. And uh, that's one of the reasons why blue-white is still in my cons- like still under consideration. But I this feel like somebody, in... Oh, sorry. This is somebody yeah. we know, right? Or like this is a known legacy player. As Ezreal, the Stoneblade yeah. deck is, is somebody who's a known player, right? Yeah, I, I, think, I don't. I don't know who he is personally, but I've seen his name a lot. Okay, I thought it was Brian Koval, but I could be wrong. Um, uh, he's playing the deck in paper, so that makes sense. Yeah, it could. It could not be him, also. But that was my first guess. But anyway, this deck has two Judgment Main and a, a Counter Spell and four Forces. And then the sideboard has two Supreme Verdicts, and that's it, as far as answering the yeah. true name. But that's a lot of answers with Brainstorm, Ponder, Jace, your own true names, Batter Skulls, etc. Yeah, and this yeah. might be the next evolution on that, What was sort of what I was talking about, sort of closing up that gap, where another evolution, I think, is is maybe just splashing off you know, a very minimal Volcanic Island splash for some Pyroblasts might, might be, like, uh, one way to improve the the mirror match, quote-unquote. I did um, that. Years ago, I played Stoneblade, and I did that. Like, I played Jeskai Stoneblade. I top-aided an open that was in Worcester. I lost to Dave Long playing lands in top-eight. That guy is, like, one of the best players oh, like, yeah. period. He's ridiculous. I, yeah, I can... I can for that. <laughs> but, uh, I, played, I played like one or two. I played two volcanic islands, and I think I sideboarded a mountain. Not a hundred percent sure, but I think I did. And I played like two lightning bolts, and then red blasts and sudden demise on the board. Red blast seems kind of good right now because another deck that I expect to be picking up right now is sneak and show, and that's sort of like Tom was saying. You know, he's considering it now. Uh, a couple. I don't want to blow up anybody's spot, but a couple people that we talk to on the regular that wouldn't normally be considered sneak and show players are picking up the deck to test it this week. So I think that uh, 
if if Sneak and Show is picking up, I think that having Red Blast in your board wouldn't be the worst place to be. Are Are you talking about Rich Shea? Are you going to leave that in? It was already on Leaving a Legacy. Oh, okay. Jerry, Jerry dropped that. Okay. Cause, oh, uh, Rich Shea wants to play Sneak and Show? Yeah. yeah. So when he was going to play Lands, he told me not to tell anybody, so I figured with Sneak and Show I should keep it close to the vest, but whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I think cool Jerry, Jerry... I met him a couple times. I like that guy. He's a really cool guy. He's one of, uh, he's one of the other guests we've had on. He's uh he's a local for us, so he plays he's old. So much more articulate than I am, so I feel bad. Bro, I got <laughs> fucking wasted on that episode and Tom 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 didn't drink and obviously Rich didn't drink. So we're like one hour in and I'm just like rambling about something and all of a sudden I'm just like, Oh fuck, these guys are so sober right now. Well and you I just, you uh, had said you had said, listen, like he really doesn't want us to swear and I'm like, All right, I cannot fucking drink if we need to keep this episode PG-13, so I I did not get sloshed. Yeah, I did. I, I was not thinking. I was just thinking, okay, we're recording. It's time to fucking crack some brews, but no. So, yeah, people are playing Sneak and Show. A lot of people are looking at it. It's objectively, we've said this a hundred times, going back to episode one, it's objectively on par with the most powerful decks in the format. No one can argue that it's not. You're, you're definitely giving yourself a chance playing that deck. It's A lot of it is a question of whether you like the play style, whether you feel like it's it's well-positioned in the current metagame, and I think a lot of people are concluding that it is right now. Yeah, the, the format's gotten a lot fairer, but it's gotten fairer in ways that are conducive to Sneak and Show being good. I guess the most broad strokes way to describe that would be saying that, like, we're seeing a lot less Grixis control. So, like, there's a lot less him to Turox. There's a lot less, like, Grixis Delver. There's a lot There's a lot less Cabal Therapies. Like, the fair Delver decks are, like, Days, Pierce, Force. And the Stoneblade decks are, like, Pierce, Force, Counterspell, Spell Snare. And, like, don't even have Days most of the time. So, like, just... The way that people are attacking Sneak and Show is like ways that it's like kind of inherently constructed to be good against. Yeah, like, I think I think they, you hit it. Yeah, they have a uh, flusterstorm main a lot of the time. They have uh, whatever whatever their sideboard have red blasts in it or or what have you. Like they they can beat they can beat like a couple generic counter spells and a mediocre clock, and like that's what most of the fair decks have. Because they're like, these fair decks are like capitalizing on how some of the unfair decks have really greedy mana bases and playing stuff like main deck back to basics. And uh, basically that's that's why like you're seeing blue-white fair decks instead of, instead of you know, underground sea fair decks. Also, no Deathrite Shaman makes like the Gersh's control deck a lot worse. I played that deck recently and it was like, eh, it was okay. It's a cool deck. Baleful Strix is sweet, but it's not it's not nearly as good as it was when it was called Check Pile or whatever, like a year and a half ago. Completely I, agreed. Yeah, I think you hit that right on the head, uh, Kevin. I think that the 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 Delver deck du jour right now is kind of the blue red Delver deck, and there's no yeah. way there's no way that's as good as the old Grixis Delver deck had Angler to clock really quickly. It had main deck discard, sometimes even Cabal Therapies main deck, 
you know, there's there's no way that the blue red deck that a lot of times has gone up to three or four true name nemesis now. That's just not getting the closing speed that the Grixis Delver deck used to have. It doesn't have the discard that the Grixis Delver deck used to have, so it's not being proactive. You have to leave up your your counter magic and not develop your board. So th- there's no way, in my opinion, that the de- that deck can have as good of a, a matchup against Sneak and Show as the Grixis deck did. It's just, just the, the Blue Red Devil deck plays four true names, right? Or three? A lot of times, yeah. It's just not a well-constructed deck, I don't think. I don't know. I don't know how it's so good. It's weird. Yeah, I think, I think the, the best version is the one that Clay Spicklemeyer put together with one main deck Underground Sea and some black sideboard cards of Thoughtseize and uh, Bitter Blossom to bring it against non-Wasteland decks. But, man, sure. we had we had, um, we had had Lawrence Harmon on a few weeks ago. And Ooh, that's, was, my, that's my dude. Lawrence, yeah, Lawrence. Lawrence the one who gave actually, me the list that I'm, that I'm going to play probably. Nice. A European guy named Thomas Thomas Meachin. Machine? Yep, Meechin. He's um he's in a group chat. I'm in. Well, that guy's great. That guy's really good. Yeah, but he said how Legacy right now was really turning into like a true names true name arms race, and Sneak and Show just ignores that axis. And I think that I think that's where I want to be. Yeah, I think that that might be the best deck against the card True Name Nemesis, right? Because you're just going around it entirely. Yeah, I mean, like, Burn is pretty good against it. Yeah. Uh, it's not nearly as good against Miracles as you might be inclined to believe. Um, but yeah, the, the deck that just ignores it and kills you, like, is either, um, you know, Sneak and Show or Storm. And uh, Mechin or Mechin said that those were the bad matchups for sure. Sneak and Show and Storm for Stoneblade. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and Storm, this is something we've talked about a lot. I think that if people had infinite time to test and, and infinite experience and everything, that we would see a huge contingent of people playing Ant at this tournament. But a lot of people just aren't comfortable bringing it, right? Like, like I'm not. it's not on my radar of decks that I'm going to play just because I have no time with it, no reps with it. So uh, I think that a lot more people will be comfortable – picking up uh, Sneak and Show on short notice than picking up like a deck like Ant. Yeah, for sure. Ant has a much higher learning curve and going into like a like a month before Grand Prix, when you're really trying to hammer out what the meta is going to look like and what you think is going to be well positioned, a deck like Sneak and Show is easy to pick up and test a little bit to get comfortable enough to play it at a Grand Prix. Man, somebody going in cold to playing Ant, who only has a month, is not going to be prepared enough to play that at a at an event like Niagara, in my opinion. It'd be nice to get paired against him, though. Do you guys know uh, Taylor Pratt, I think his name is? We do. Or I do. I played I played Ant at a Legacy... Yeah, Ant. I'm sorry, I think if it was Ant or Tess. It was Ant. I played Ant at a Legacy Tournament at Jupiter Games in, like, 2011, and I was playing against Taylor, and he was playing, like, some awful Bant deck, but he did that a lot. Um, hey, cool you, were talking, you were he, talking to two people who played <laughs> awful Bant decks a lot. Well, anyway, Taylor had Gaddick in play, and 
I started to go off because I had Chain of Vapor. But when I got down to having only Infernal Tutor and Chain of Vapor in my hand, I realized that my LED was my blue source. And then I just basically put a bunch of mana in my pool and then conceded. And he was just like, what the hell? And I showed him, like, my hand, which was eight black mana in my pool with Chain and and Infernal Tutor. And he was like, oh. (laughs) And, like, I I guess there wasn't another Chain, so, like, I couldn't Infernal Tutor and crack in response. But that wouldn't even do anything. I would just bounce this dude and say go. So it, it didn't really matter. Like, but it was very funny. I was very dead and I was very bad. At playing Ant. Yeah, that's that's what happens. I think I beat Dan Jordan at that tournament, and Dan Jordan was like a really good Magic player uh, who has since retired, but he was pretty good at Legacy 2, and I just somehow beat him with (laughs) storming it off. Man, I I didn't know Dan Jordan was no longer playing. I'm sure he plays once, maybe once or twice a year, but he's a pro poker player who lives in Vegas, and he was – He's from Albany, New York. Like, we, we played the same locals for a long time. Are you from Albany? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no shit. Nice. All right, so we're all going to Niagara. I believe it's been established, right? Tom Are we all waiting for Stoneforge Mystic? Let's go. <sighs> we got to have a pack. Like, we would put our, put our fist in and we're like... I, I have actually never played a Legacy Grand Prix without Stoneforge Mystic. This could be my first one. But I haven't I haven't pulled the trigger yet. I'm gonna say that I'm I'm ninety percent at this point to to be playing Stoneforge. I'm not sure which colors. I, I I'm testing the blue white red build. I'm testing the Esper build. I'm testing the blue white build. So I'm also ninety percent to be playing Stoneforge. But the ten percent that it was like a hundred percent before the show started. But then you guys put this um these second show seed. No, you put these decks in in the show notes, and one of the decks is like <laughs> Redlum Reveler nonsense Grixis control, and I'm just like it, like having daydreams while we're casting of me like casting Bedlam Reveler. Dude, that card off of two Badlands or whatever. Like, let's go. <laughs> that card, it's it's so crazy to me that it never shows up in the the blue deck, especially like the with Terramander showing up and it having like the exact same requirements as that card and you know synergizing pretty perfectly. I'm surprised that we haven't seen other people grab it yet. It's I mean it's a lot different than Terramander. Like Terramander, the texture, uh, like the context of the cards is completely different, right? Like Battle Reveler requires you to play a lot of spells early and then play the Bedlam Reveler when you've presumably exhausted your resources and you want to re-up. Terramander lets you buy in cheap at the beginning, and then if it gets bigger, it gets bigger. If not, like, you can just execute your game plan and it gradually becomes, you know, a lot worth a lot more than a one-mana one-one would be. Yeah. But, like, Terramander doesn't really re- force you to cast stuff. It just gets better if you do. Whereas Bedlam Reveler, like, it's really bad with Snapcaster Mage because it's bad when you have cards in your hand and, like, all this other stuff. But, I don't know, I tried to play Bedlam Reveler in Modern once. We played a red-blue Delver deck, 
And like, I also put Snapcaster Mages in it without like thinking about it beforehand. And my deck was very bad and it was very frustrating. It was not a good tournament. <laughs> yeah, it does definitely impose pretty significant uh, deck building constraints when you're when you're playing Bedlam Reveler. But it's it's certainly powerful, man. It seems like it might be worth a look from somebody. It's pretty yeah. good with cards like Collective Brutality, which I don't know how much Legacy play that card sees, but that's a sweet card. Uh, that's a great card with Bedlam Reveler. Yeah, and that card, it's something that I've been thinking about a little bit, that card, because uh, these blue-red decks, sometimes they can play, like, burn decks, so that, that gain life ability on uh, Collective Brutality is pretty relevant. Uh, it's not a dead card against combo by any means, because you can duress people with it. So There's mostly there's mostly no prices in these red-blue decks, right? They play Wasteland instead? Yeah, that's, that's yes. mostly the, the way that they've developed, like, the past couple months. Yeah. I think that that's interesting because Blue-Red used to be essentially like a burn deck. Like the old Blue-Red Delver deck played Goblet Guide, you know, and Fire Blast. It um, is pretty weird, yeah. It's come a and long now, way. Now it's really a Blue Delver deck that plays a chunk of burn spells. But like, yeah, there's no no more prowess, no more Swift Spear getting pumped three yeah. times. It's It's a lot slower. There's very little, like, outside of the Delver decks that are all kind of, you know, bashing into each other, there's very little Lightning Bolt in the format. So then the only real removal for Delver is, like... And this is interesting because the removal for Delver is Push and Plow, which are, like, both really good at killing other things as well. So, like, that makes Delver better, right? Like, if the removal is Lightning Bolt and it can only kill Delver, like, people will have to include other removal spells in their deck or kill you for kill you before you care. But when their only removal spell is Plow, if they Plow your Delver, your follow-up creature is, like, more likely to live or whatever because they only have four Plows in their deck. That's an interesting thing, too. Yeah, it's definitely true. And I think that's why True Name is so important, too, is because it sort of sidesteps that. Because there are a lot of Plow decks right now, like a lot of Tundra decks especially. Yeah, and if True Name is the plan, you want to, like, board out all your Delvers. Right. And just, like, make sure they leave in four Plows and have no targets. Like, let them Plow your Stoneforge after you drew a card, and then just True Name them with Batterskull or whatever. Like, I don't know. Like, I think that Harlan's deck is kind of a trap. I don't think that Daze's... I don't think two dazes and wastelands make you that much better against combo. I think he just likes to make his decks bad because he's really good and likes to win on hard mode. Tom <laughs> <laughs> is evidently the same way. Like, well, I I play like a slightly different slightly different build. It's heavier on the one drops and dazes, and being able to play a different game plan where sometimes when you play against miracles, you like. You show them Delver in your game two and then go on to that plan. Yeah. Especially if you're on the playing game two. And being able to have a varied game plan like that makes a lot of sense. But Harlan's build had a lot more threes and fours than I had. And the decks play out quite differently. He had Daze and Jace in his deck. I had no Jace. <laughs> I played I played the white Jace. I was playing Palace Jailer. That which is sweet. That card is sweet. That card is really, really fucking good, and I'm pretty sure no matter what I do, I'm going to be registering at least two copies of that card. But we're talking about uh, 
back when back i think it was the pro tour was the last time we did this but like the what decks you expect to be in the top five like the most popular decks for this tournament and i was mentioning how the the data is kind of obscured on moto right now because uh because the mulligan rule you know i don't know how much of it is the actual rule versus people's perception of it but i did play a league earlier and i played against two chalice decks sneak and show red black and depths which to, to varied degrees, I think people consider to be decks that gain from the rule, other than maybe depths. But. So if you play a Legacy League on Moto, you have to use the London Mulligan? Oh, yeah. you do. What yeah, every, everything on Moto right now is London Mulligan. It's been a, it's been almost a week now of, of exclusively London Mulligan. Is this a trial for the actual London Mulligan, or is Moto going to be played with the London Mulligan for the rest of our lives? trial they wanted to give players who were playing in the mythic championship in london time to test so they switched it for every format and i played three leagues that's so bad yep i played three leagues last night and i think i played against black red four times i didn't play against chalice as much as you did but it was a lot of fast combo and not not a ton of fair things I want to play a league with Stoneblade, but I don't want to play a league if I'm just going to play against Red Black Reanimator four times. Like, why? Yeah, that's exactly I where I'm at. I want to play long games and make sure that – and, like, make mistakes and figure out what I'm doing wrong. Because I haven't played Stoneblade in a while. Like, I, I haven't played Legacy regularly in years and years. So I really need to just, like, you know, get reps in and – getting goldfished is not going to help me do that. So that's really yeah. disappointing, but whatever. Yeah, I played against one Delver deck and two Grixis control decks out of 20, 25 games in the last two days. Jesus. Yeah, oh. and I, I had our buddy uh, Tom Cairns actually Skyped in with me, and we played some matches today with, like, fair decks. Like, he played Miracles and Bug and, and Delver. So just to be able to get reps against real decks so my sideboard doesn't get all fucking tweaked with, like, surgical extractions and shit because of the mulligan rule. So I can actually be developing sideboard plans now, you know? I mean, you, maybe you want to tweak your deck a little bit, like, because if you're playing a blade deck, like, you're you're going to be good against the other fair decks most of the time. Like, you're probably bad against Jun because that deck just fucks you up. Oh, yeah. Nobody really plays Jun, so Thank whatever. God. We might want to cut that just so people don't get the idea to play Jund, man. I don't want to fucking ever play that deck again. You just have to win round one and you won't have to worry about it. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Very true. Do you have buys for this tournament? I should have two. Nice. I'm silver. I missed gold by three points. Oh, fuck, bro. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awful. So, yeah, what's what's your deal? Like, are you, are you trying to chase the PC at all? I'm just going to go back to SCGs. Like, I'll... I have enough pro points that I think I should be able to play Pro Tour Richmond or, like, I'm only a few points away from being able to play Pro Tour Richmond on, like, invites holding value or whatever. Like, your invite, you get to use an invite, like, every four Pro Tours. So I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I think I can play in Richmond. But other than that, like, I'm just basically playing SCGs. And, you know, if if I find a GP on an off weekend... And I do well, and I qualify. Like I'll play all the MCQs and stuff, but I'm just gonna go back to going for the PC because the Pro Tour, I mean, the Grand Prix circuit is all screwed up. 
Yeah, that's sick though, man. Like the it's so cool that they have the PC again this year, in my opinion. I think that that, that adds like a whole other level to it. I hope Legacy is not one of the formats. I guess I I guess I shouldn't say that on the show. <laughs> just like having it for Legacy was so frustrating in 2016. Because would you prefer so to little, play modern? Well, so little of our testing that year or our tournaments that year were Legacy. Right. Like, and then you go into an event like that and you have somebody like Joe Lissette who has all of that legacy testing under their belt. It's and you can it's definitely it. mismatched. In the 2016 Players' Championship, I played Joe Lissette. I cast like seven sideboard cards in game two and he fucking destroyed me and it just didn't even matter. Yeah, that sense is, that's, that's Divining Top Miracles. Like, Wait, I was it turn three painful truths for three, like multiple true names, a bunch of snapcasters, I was playing, like, the four-color Delver deck, if you guys remember that deck. Yep. It was I think like, I remember this match, to tell you the truth. It was not a good look for me. Um, <laughs> I got dumpstered, and then I managed to win, like, the old destination battle to go to, um, to, go to the winner's pod, because it was modern at that point. So I ended up playing Jim Davis in the Grixis Delver Mirror in modern. And it was my deck that I gave to him, so Daddy took charge there. And then I won all the modern rounds on day one after that, because Rixus Delver was broken. Hell yeah. Star City does such a good job with, one, promoting their events, two, promoting their players, and three, hyping coverage, that I'm, I'm more excited to play in SCGs than I am in Grand Prix, for sure. Dude, it's crazy to say that, but it's it's so true. I mean, we're going to Niagara. There's not going to be any video coverage, right? I mean, it's it's just going to be like, oh, you know, table two to the fake feature match or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, not, Star City has like, you know. There's still text coverage, so like, there's still some value to like, you know, like I'll wear my bearded dragon jersey because like, if I get fake features, it's good. Or if there's like text interviews and stuff, it's good. Like, I don't know, but it's it's not what it used to be for sure. Um, and it sucks that people won't be able to watch Legacy because I know a lot of people who love Legacy love to like, you know, they have families and jobs and kids and stuff. And they'll like sit home on Saturday and be like, oh, I get to watch like three or four hours of this Legacy Grand Prix on Twitch. But then, you know, it's not streamed. So it's just disappointing for those people, you know. I 100% can relate to that, man. That that's That's where I'm at. And it, it, it double sucks when you're playing the event too, because if you're doing well, you know you wanna you wanna be able to play like feature matches, and it's just not there. So whatever. I mean, we're gonna have Atlanta later this year for a Grand Prix. We got another uh, SCG Legacy in Syracuse in the second half. I think those are both in September, if I'm not mistaken. So we'll have our chance. But Atlanta is Legacy. Did you say that? Yeah. Yes. I'm getting married that weekend, so I'm not going to that tournament. But oh, dude, congratulations. congratulations. Yeah, thank you, man. I'm much more excited about getting married than I would be about going to Georgia to play Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, to Are be fair, I probably would have. If I wasn't getting married that weekend, I would probably go because, you know. Well, once once you've been married for six or seven years, you'll be way more excited to go to Georgia to play Legacy. Get out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny. I appreciate that. That's the way of the world, bro. Tom and I, Tom and I, uh, if you if you need any advice, you can reach out to us. We're the, we're the older statesmen of the uh, the legacy community. You guys 
weren't that much older than me, are you? I'm. I can't fucking wait to play Niagara. My old ass, who has been married for a while, like my magic weekends away, are when I can kind of remember back to my to my earlier days and just get to just yeah, get to relax and have I fun. Certainly, like I, I um, I can certainly get that because like the magic weekends away when we were younger were just so cool. Like when you were a teenager or in your early twenties. And, like, there was a GP weekend, you managed to, like, afford a hotel that was, like, in the city and you didn't have to, like, drive in from the boonies or whatever. Like, I remember, like, GP Boston in 09, all around the tournament site, in a hooded sweatshirt with no sleeves with a bottle of liquor in my hand. <laughs> like, probably <laughs> that good. <laughs> but, I mean, it was a single bottle of liquor, to be fair. Like, we weren't drinking it, but, like, we, we like, went to the liquor store. We were like, it's going to be a good night, you know? And we're like, hey, let's go by the site. So we took a lap and was like, man, these people don't know me. Like, I'm so good at magic. I went like 1-5 in the tournament or whatever. But like the next day, but, you know, I I don't know. I always knew I was going to be like kind of good, I guess. <laughs> so I figured I would take the, the hoodie of my sleeveless uh, sweatshirt or whatever the hell it was and like walk around like I was tough. So this this might date me, but my first Grand Prix, I was in college and it was Grand Prix Boston of 1998, so that was okay. that was a long that was a long time ago. Did you go to GP Boston 02? That was my first one. Um, o- 02 or so 03? I think uh, I I stopped playing Magic for a little bit right after college, so I stopped playing in like 2001 before picking it back up again. Okay, there was a Grand Prix at a literal castle. In the middle of Boston, in like the park, the Park Plaza Castle. I was not at that one, but I had a bunch of friends that went. That was my first Grand Prix. We had such a blast. God it damn! They, they had it at a castle. Yeah, and we I stayed at a hotel that was like right across the street. It was a really nice hotel called like Boston Plaza Hotel or something. Yep. And like I went with my brother and his friends, and like they were all older. Like I was fourteen, so my brother was probably like thirty years old. 29 or 30 years old and um, maybe older 14 or 15. And like, these guys were all grown ups, and I was just like a kid. And I was like, there's 24 hour drafts. Like I'm going to just go play magic all night. <laughs> so like, I'm just out wandering around the city, like by myself at 14 years old. And like, if my mom had known that my brother allowed me to like, just go out and, you know, just whatever, she would have probably been so mad, but it was funny. Bro, it those were the fun. fucking days when the, the center was open 24 hours and they had, like, money drafts going on all night. Yeah, I was just drafting at, like, 3.30 in the morning, playing against, like, 25- and 30-year-old dudes, and I'm just 14, like, with an enormous backpack, and I'm so tiny. <laughs> I'm just like, ah, I got a rare, you know? <laughs> it, like, what the fuck happened to that? I didn't play for 15 years, so I don't know, like, what happened between when I left in, in 1998 and when I came back in 2013. But, like, it was fucking totally different, man. Like, all that shit, I don't know what happened, man. Some kids got mugged or something. Like, when when did the, the culture of that shit stop? Of, like, the... The um the 24-hour event sites being open and shit? Yeah, it's just ergonomic to, like, close it. And yeah, I guess. Like, the, you know, let the people rest so that there's good customer service. And, I don't know. If you have people on, like, 29-hour magic benders. <laughs> like, 
it's just conducive to wild shit happening, so it's just probably not great. Yeah, Tom might have been the reason for this, actually. Yeah, there's, I don't know. This might get cut, but it's very funny. Um, I'll just tell it anyway. Uh, so that Grand Prix Secaucus or Pro Tour Secaucus, that venue had been used for Grand Prix and all sorts of events. And my brother and a group of his friends went before I even played Magic. They went to a tournament there. And this one local guy who was with them was like notoriously like, I don't know, like he would want to meet girls and he was like really like, you know, self-deprecating and whatever. He'd be like, nobody likes me or whatever. And and this <laughs> guy like, this guy like met some girls at one of the convenience stores in Secaucus and they were like, you should buy us liquor. But, and the dude was like, all right, I'll do it. So like he, he was going to go do it. And then like one of the girl's boyfriends showed up and like punched the dude in the face. <laughs> so he just... They, they, like, lost him. They're like, where did he go? Where did he go? And, like, they went to go find him, and they found him, like, passed out sleeping under a tree, like, in the in the courtyard of the hotel or whatever. And they're like, why are you here? They're like, well, I met these girls, and they liked me, but then their boyfriend showed up and punched me in the face, so I was tired, so I sat here. <laughs> so that's, I, a great, that's a great story. I kind of understand now why the uh, 24-hour event sites got shut down. They also, like, had the hotel vending machine, and they either they rigged it or they – like, these are stories from when I was, like, probably, like, I don't know, 10 years old before I even played Magic. My brother and his friends would all go, and, like, they had the hotel vending machine was broken. It was just shooting out soda, like, all over the floor of, like, right by where the elevator bank would be. Like, just sh- sodas are just falling out of the vending machine. So they took all of the sodas and, like, put them in their shirts, and then they filled the bathtub like you would at, like, a college frat party. <laughs> so their hotel bathtub was just filled with ice and, like, hundreds of sodas for the entire weekend. It's just that's, va- that's value. Yeah, it's just funny. Like, I mean, I'm, sh- I'm sure vagrant stuff, like, ridiculous stuff happens to people – in present day, but like the stories that they all have from when I first started playing and like before I started playing are just so absurd always. So did you start to play because of your older brother? Is that how you got into it? Yeah. He taught me how to play. Like, um, when I was like 10 or 11, he used to occasionally watch me like babysit me. If my parents wanted to go to dinner or something and have like a little, you know, cause I have a brother who's, a full brother who's two two and a half years younger than me. So, like, he would – him and I would, you know, be, like, 11 and 9 or 10 and 8 or whatever. And my older brother would watch us, and he'd do whatever with us and, you know, just be a, a cool bigger brother who was, like, well, drive us around in his car and, like, whatever. And then he played Magic, and, you know, he always had this stuff in the back seat, and we were like, oh, what's that? And he, like, showed us how to play – and we were playing Pokemon around that time. So, like, I was trying to teach my brother how to play Pokemon, the card game, and he would teach me how to play Magic. And, like, years later, like, three or four years later, I learned to play back then. And then three or four years later, I came down to this local game store down the street from my house. There was, like, this spot we always used to skateboard at. And the game store was, like, three or four doors down. And I was, we went in there to get like, you know, a couple sodas or whatever. They had Gatorades and sodas and stuff. So we went in there to get a drink 
because we were skateboarding and we were like sweating. It was the summer. And I saw my brother there and there was like a whole bunch of people playing magic. I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like, I didn't know that this was a thing. I'll start playing again. So then like the two kids I skated with, we all started playing like when we were tired from skating, we would play on like their living room floor or like at the tables in this game store. And like, I just played basically ever since I was like 15 years old when this happened. And I've been playing magic on and off ever since. So first of all, this story got me right in the feels because I have brothers right now that are 15, 13, and 12. Yeah. And I, I haven't tried to play magic with them, and I kind of feel bad about that right now. But it's, uh, it's you like still- you, it's if you if they want to learn, teach them. But like you know, they want to discover stuff on in their own like through their own passions or whatever. So like, eh, it's tough to force that kind of thing on a teenager, you know. That's true, and I have given them decks for Christmas, but I just never made an effort to like sit with them or whatever. But do, you still, do you still have a skateboard? I do. It's at my mom's house. Like I don't currently use it, but I have one. I I've can been thinking lately, like I, I gotta get a skateboard off fucking eBay or whatever. Like I, I just don't have one right now, and and I kind of want to skate sometimes. I was pretty good back in the day. It was like my passion before I got into magic. Yeah, dude, I can see you being a skater. You kind of have like the 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 like frame for it, I guess. I I was re- I had really long hair when I was a teenager, like <laughs> so I had really long hair and I always wear a hat, so I just looked like a little skate rat kid, really lanky, skinny kid. It was it was pretty much like this the archetype of like who you would think this the skater kid would be in high school or whatever. Did you and, ever go down to Axis Sports Sports in Danbury? No, there was a skate shop with a indoor park in the town I lived in, like oh, nice. two miles from my house. So we just lived there. Like yeah, we had we had an eight foot pipe inside of Axis. It was sick. Oh yeah, there was a there was an eight a six foot mini ramp in, yep. in TS. It was called TSX, and RIP. It was like where our childhoods. You know, I still see my friends who I grew up with there. And we're just always like, yo, man, those were the good old days. But, like, TSX was the name of the place, and it had a six-foot mini ramp, and we just lived there. Our Christmas present was, like, the season passed, so you could just go whenever you wanted and never had to pay. Was it, like, T-shirts, skatewear, and extras? Is that TSX? Yes, exactly. Yeah, we had one of those, too. Oh, and Danbury Mall, right? That's right. I've been in that TSX. Hell yeah, man. That's right. It's the same company. But it, yeah. it's like based in Kingston, and then I no idea. There was it. one in Danbury. That's crazy. Hell so yeah, much this is not about magic, man. We really fucked this up. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we'll just hop back into it. We'll just drop in right here. The top five decks. My prediction for the top five decks for this event: Niagara, Blue Red, possibly Splashing Black, possibly not. Blue Red Delver number one. Sneak and Show number two. Death and Taxes, number three, just because this is a paper event. Blue White Blade, number four, and Miracles, number five, A, Grixis Control, five, B. Uh, Tom, what do you what do you think about that? So I think I think your deck, your decks, I agree with, except I think Black Red Reanimator is going to be in the top five. Okay. So I think that Blue White Blade... And Death and Taxes are actually going to be number one and number two because they're easier to put together in paper and they they have put up very significant performances recently. 
I think blue red with the black splash on the sideboard is going to be number three. And then it's going to be Sneak and Show, and then it's going to be Reanimator. So I think Miracles is kind of overrepresented online because of the the skill of the pilots that play it consistently. I'm not sure if it's going to be a top five deck for this tournament. I think that a lot of people are going to try to move over to fast combo, and Miracles is going to be like number six, seven, eight. Okay. Kevin, I know you haven't been following Legacy, like, you don't have your hand on the pulse because you're playing other formats, but what do you think about that list? Do you think that sounds about right to you, or would you expect I something else? I think that Blue-Red X Delver decks will be popular, but probably not the most popular. Honestly, and this is kind of a hot take, I think the most played deck in the entire room will be Eldrazi as an aggregate. Like, if you combine Stompy and Post, I know they're not the same deck, but if you combine them, I think more people will play that than anything else. Because it's cheap, and it's relatively easy to play, and like a lot of people will just play Eldrazi decks. So you might know more about this than me. The reason that I don't have Eldrazi on here is because I feel like Niagara is in the middle of nowhere, and there's no locals who like would need to build a cheap deck. You're just getting people flying in. Is that is that it's not true, not, though? So Niagara is... As someone who lives in New York, I, I don't know too much about it, but Niagara is essentially Buffalo. Okay, and that has a legacy scene, would you say, or, or a magic scene, I, I should say? Well, Syracuse, Binghamton, and Rochester have some, or had when I was coming up, some of the biggest legacy scenes there were. Like, okay. the best, the best legacy players I had ever met played at a local game store in Binghamton, New York called Jupiter Games. And I would routinely attend these events like around the time that I was qualifying for my first pro tour. So I was a good magic player, standard and modern or standard and extended at the time, I'm dating myself, whatever. Um, but I would routinely two, three, 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 maybe four, two, these legacy tournaments. Like these that was like the the Bryant Cook group yeah, of type I mean, type one point five players, right? Bryant was just one of several really good players there. There was like Ely Cassis, James Rinkevich, um, Ryan McKinney who works for SCG now, uh, Ken Adams who works for uh, another game store called Owl Central. Uh, all these guys like. You know, Magic was mostly what they did, and they were in their late 20s, and they were grinding, and Ely owned the store called Jupiter Games, and Ely is like platinum now. He's a superstar Magic player, but he was – these were his tournaments. They were like duel for duels or duel for power or whatever, and like we would all drive up and go to these tournaments. Everybody was so good, man. It was crazy. This is kind of an aside, but I'm a big Ely Cassis fan. Yeah, Ely's great. He really is. He's. I've made some great deals with him over the years. Uh, one of when I was first starting to play Magic competitively again back in like 2014, I remember he birded one of my feature matches and gave me some advice afterwards and was like, "Man, I was really rooting for you." And you know, he didn't know me from fucking you know Joe yeah. Schmo or whatever, but he was just like a genuinely nice person. So I try to give him my business with buying and selling shit after that. Yeah, and uh, big sure. fan, he's good people. But th- so there will be a lot of very good legacy players at this Grand Prix, and there'll be, a lot of them will be legacy players who are very good who haven't played in some time. 
Like, people are going to come out of retirement probably for this tournament because it's a couple hours from their houses. And you like, think Rock that they'll... People, Syracuse you, think, people. you think they'll make the, the switch to Eldrazi, possibly? I don't know if those people will specifically, but I think Eldrazi is an easy deck to acquire. And if you live in western New York or northwestern PA or eastern Ohio and you know the tournament's coming up, you're probably going to make plans to drive the two to four hours to play, and Eldrazi's a relatively easy deck to acquire that has a pretty low floor as far as playability goes. Like, you can play Eldrazi at, like, you know, 70% optimality by just counting to five and playing the biggest thing you have every turn or whatever. Yeah, that's scary, man, because I I don't have that deck on my radar, and it's definitely my worst matchup, I would think. It was, like, one of the most popular decks at the uh, Team Pro Tour, which I participated in. And, like, I did play Eldrazi Stompy at that tournament. Oh, really? Yes, and that's, like, one of the only times I played a non-blue deck. And I... How'd it go for you? I mean, we we got 17th as a team, but my record was, like... My record was just, like, north of 500. Like, I think I might have been, I think I was 6-6, six and six, might have been 6-5 six and five or 7-5, seven and, seven and but it was, I was about 50-50. My teammates, my, our modern player played humans and just beat the hell out of everyone. I think he was, like, 10-3 and three or something crazy like that. Dude, that's awesome, man. I didn't realize you played the Legacy Seat. Congratulations. Yeah, I played, I played the Legacy Seat. It was, it was a great time. But uh, don't let me get sidetracked too much. I do want to <laughs> five decks. I, I, whenever I appear on a podcast, I just derail the shit. Like, yeah, and, we, and we won't get in any chat roulette or nothing like that. So we're, we're safe for now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> fair, fair. But, but yeah. So, um, I think that it, it's tough to do micro archetypes because I just want to like truncate everything yep. to make it more simple. So, like, I think Eldrazi as a macro archetype will be one of the most popular decks. I think uh, blue-white, back to basics, either Miracles or Stoneblade, is going to be either the second most popular or the most popular. And then I think that after that is Delver decks, blue-red based Delver decks, so Grixis or blue-red, or Rug. You know... If you count Rug, there might be a lot of those, so that could be up there, too. Yeah. And then Death and Taxes, because people own it, like you said. And then uh, Linear Combo, like Sneak and Show, and then Black Red Reanimator. Maybe Black Red is is above Sneak and Show, because Black Red is probably cheaper. But whatever. I mean, I don't think Grixis Control will be represented at all. I don't think Goblins or Maverick will be very represented at all. Um, but I do think that like blue, white, um, Eldrazi and Delver will be like the most popular things going on. Yeah, that seems convincing. And, and hearing your take on, uh, the Eldrazi decks makes me really want to be playing back to basics because that's really like the, the shot that I have against the post decks. Your biggest strengths against that deck are that like, if you, even if they chalice you, so like... Because of the way their deck is constructed, their chalices are, like, a huge point, a decision point for them. Like, they will keep hands based off of chalice's strength almost exclusively. So, like, because they do that, a lot of times their chalice hands 
like will be a little bit weak supporting it, you know? Yeah. They don't go chalice, thought not smasher every game. Like they do that some small percentage of the time and people just die. But like but they don't do that all the time. They'll go like chalice off of city and then like play a mimic, play another land or whatever, and like be kinda hamstrung by how much they're trying to put chalice into play. Or they'll like roll it into chalice and then spirit guide it into play and have like three cards in their hand or whatever. Like that stuff happens too. But like the way you beat them is you continue making land drops and you have judgment Jace in your in your stone blood. I'm th- I'm thinking about this from like a blue white perspective. Yeah, you palace jailer them. Yeah, you can palace jailer them, you can jace them, you can judgment them. Uh your snapcaster can trade with something. Your true name is pretty good. Your forces can hit them because they don't always have cavern. Like, the matchup's not awful. If you have Delvers in your deck and Wastelands, the matchup is much worse. But it's not that bad for, like, a fair Stoneblade deck. Yeah, certainly the littler Eldrazi deck is a lot better than the bigger one. The bigger one, it can be really problematic. But Oh, the big one is, is tough. Yeah. yeah. You really need to aggressively back to basics the big one. The little yeah. one, you can back to basics them when they already have, like, nine power in play. Right. And theoretically can also happen with the big one, but the big one has a lot more lands that come to play tapped. And, like, it's just a lot grindier and slower. So, like, the chances that back to basics will, like, cause the bigger Eldrazi deck to, to get cards stuck in their hand is, like, pretty high. Yeah, for sure. All right, so you guys want to move on to the challenge? So this is the first challenge played with the London Mulligan rule. So, you know, make of that what you will. The top eight of this challenge, though... It had two Chalice decks, two Grizzlebrand decks, a Experimental Doomsday deck, and then three Tundra decks, one of which was Miracles, two of which were Blade. So, obviously no Delver in this top eight. It, it does seem like, I don't know how much of this is the Mulligan rule versus people playing decks that they perceive to be good with the Mulligan rule or whatever, but I don't know. How much do you think we should read into these results, Tom? So I think that the mulligan rule really screws up <clears throat> extrapolation to Niagara because people are, one, basing their deck choice around this mulligan rule, and that sort of warps all the results you see. But even though people are doing that, you see blue-white putting up really good results. Now, that's a deck that doesn't really benefit from the rule as much as the other decks do. It's a cantrip deck, and generally the strength of those decks in the field is you can keep a looser variety of hands without mulliganing, because your cantrips can find what you need. Yeah, you keep, like, two lands and spells, four lands and spells, you know? Like, the Stoneblade decks mulligan, like, they don't mulligan very often, but also their power level is, like, capped or whatever, you know? It's not capped. It, it's capped, but it's also, like, it's capped from being too bad, too. Like, these decks are never awful. They, they do, like, reasonable things, and they do, they're pretty consistent at that. So, like, I think they're a good choice because when people are, like, striving for polarity, you can be consistent in doing the same thing, and if your deck line, if your answers line up well, you can win a bunch of rounds in a row. I think that uh, one of the coolest things 
I think that this deck might actually benefit a little more than Delver from the Mulligan rule because Delver's cards are so flat in power level. And a lot of times, like, you're going to look at hands with, like, you know, a couple lands and a couple cantrips and a Delver and a Pyromancer. It's like, what do I put on the bottom? You know, you're just eeny, meeny, miny, mo versus having something like, you know, an equipment in your hand where you're like, yeah, put that on the fucking bottom of my deck. Hell yeah, snap that off. So I think that this might be one of the better fair decks with the Mulligan rule, actually, for what it's worth. Yeah, I mean... But, but like, the thing is, when you talk about the mulligan rule, you're talking about, like, decks that, like, the mulligan rule is a tool for them. Yeah. But when they mulligan to six or five, like, they're doing so aggressively because, like, they can keep their combo or whatever, you know? Yeah. This deck, like, definitely gets hurt by not having seven cards or six cards. So, like, it's a question of which fair decks get hurt less. And I think you can say that, yeah, this deck is is tempered to not get hurt too much by it, but it certainly benefits from having all of its resources at its disposal. So I, I don't think the mulligan rule, like, is a good thing for Stoneblade, but also if people are going to be super aggressive with it and you do the same thing every game, maybe that is good for you, you know? Like, if you always have force, blue card... Stoneforge true name and a removal spell or a counter spell. Like if you do that every game, people are going to mulligan to five and you, you're going to be able to beat that. Like even they're good fives, you know? Yeah, for sure. And you get the, the access to the best sideboard cards too, is my feeling personally. And I think that that's a big part of what this is too, is being able to prepare for these crazy combo decks when you have yeah. access to all the blue and white cards. I mean, here I see fluster surgical, Supreme Verdict, Vendillion Click, Disenchant, and like, then a couple other things. Containment Priest is another one. Yeah, Fluster, Flusterstorm, and Containment Priest right now are they hit they hit so much yeah. of the unfair decks that Blue White Blue White is really well positioned there. It's Legacy's answer to Stony Silence and Rest in Peace or whatever. Like in modern, in modern, it's like. Oh, white is good because you can play the white sideboard cards. And they're like, well, which ones do you mean? Oh, well, Stony Silence and Rest in Peace are like the cards that just shut people down. And Containment Priest and Fluster similarly shut people down. Yeah, it's pretty great. You know, that that's, that's probably a big part of what this is, too. And I think that we're all kind of in agreement then about how much the, the mulligan rule might have weighted this top eight. So do you guys want to just move on to the uh, the the Legacy League? Because there were a couple of crazy decks in here that I think we were, were chopping at the bits to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I mean, if you want to pick a couple decks and just riff on them for a little bit, that's cool. I don't want to keep you guys here all night, but I, I can talk about – I can bullshit about Legacy for whatever, you know? Bro, I'm still going, but Tom, where are you at? Yo, I'm good. I've been drinking since I started recording Leaving a Legacy at 7. <laughs> all right. I'll be careful this time. So the the Legacy League, this is, as as far as I know, it's got to be split, right, between the old Mulligan rule and the new Mulligan rule. But you, you don't know, you know, when these guys played their leagues, when these people played their leagues, I should say. Uh, we don't know shit, so we're just going to assume that everything's on the level here. So going down here, I want to talk about POW-22, this deck, this is a deck that I've sketched up so many fucking times. This is blue-black pox right here. This is 
I want to play Pox, but I like I like playing you know good cards too. So you have the double black like the Hymn to Turox, and you, you get access to cards like Innocent Blood, Raven's Crime, Smallpox. They're really powerful black cards. You eschew creatures for Planeswalkers. This has three Liliana of the Veil, one Last Hope, one Ashiok Nightmare Weaver, and then three Jace Fringe Prodigy, which is a fucking phenomenal card in a Pox deck, in my in my estimation, because it's it's a creature, but it turns into a, a Planeswalker and flashing back. Cards that are two for ones, like him to Turok, Smallpox, those kind of cards, and breaking parity on like Innocent Blood, it's just in- incredibly powerful. So I I really thought I was really pumped to see that this deck had five owed, and I just want to hear what Tom has to say to shit on it. Well, okay, so one I like the Knight of Souls Betrayal main deck. I think that is a a great card against the strategies that Pox in general doesn't want to face against the the decks like elves that can go wide and sort of sort of get around what Pox is trying to do but do you do you actually want to tell me that you want to play a deck that is showing up with 3 dark ritual and 2 recoil what the fuck is recoil again? Is that, it that's the bounce spell that makes your opponent discard a card? It's an invasion common one blue black return target permanent right to its owner's yep. hand. That player discards a card. Instant or sorcery? Instant. That's fucking gold, man. I, I love that card. the The dark rituals are a lot more concerning to me. You you love the decks that are like three, two, one. Yes. And this is this is a three, two, one build. The only four of for spells is him. And the only four of are polluted deltas and wastelands in the mana base. I Is it this deck is from the league, right? I had to pull yes. this up on my on my computer because my phone's about to die. <laughs> yeah, it's POW twenty two. Oh I was just looking at it. Yeah, yeah. That's the right deck. Okay, good. I thought yeah. I had it. So basically, you know, you're making deck lists and you're trying to like quick count the number of cards you have. The fact that four, three, four, three, two, and one add up to ten is like a mnemonic I use constantly because I, I always have three twos and ones. I clicked on this deck, Power Twenty Two, Blue Black, and I was like, the first thing I saw was three Jace Rooms Prodigy. I'm like, this can't be the right deck, and then I just clicked off of it. Um, <laughs> but this is it. This is. Like a blue-black discard deck. Yeah. It's it, very interesting. It's fucking... It's Pox, right? But it's, it's Pox with some blue cards. Yeah, I, I mean, Recoil is cool. Like, Recoil, you have minimal cards in your hand, and, like, worst case, like, you can Recoil at end step and then make them Raven's Crime them or whatever, or him them. I think Raven's Crime is, is a criminally underplayed card. I think that that's, like, one of the best things about playing Pox, and it bothers me when I don't see it in Pox lists. This deck is dreadful for, like, Stoneblade. Like, you can never play your Stoneforge on two. You have to wait till three so that you can brainstorm back your Batter Skull or whatever. And and your true names are just, they're true toast. Names are just freaking three out of three one. Yeah, and you, you're taxing the Disenchants, too, because you're playing Snaring Bridge, Crucible of Worlds, Curse Scroll. You know, this deck, this deck is definitely attacking from somewhere else. And it's another Tar Pit deck, which is a card you never see anymore. And we're kind of off Wasteland now, so... It has Knight, too. Like, Knight of Souls Betrayal, too. So, like, you can't... 
your Stoneforges, or I mean, your true names, like you guys said, aren't good. And, like, it also has game against, like, elves and, and D&T and stuff. They can just, like, ritual out this card on, like, turn two. <laughs> yeah, this is, a, this is a really good, a really cool deck, I should say. I don't want to say this, really good. This deck might be good. Like, I, I wouldn't register this deck because I feel like it's way harder to sequence your discard spells than it might appear. And, like, I can't intuitively just, like, figure out how to do that with only, like, four days. Yeah. <laughs> but this deck might not be bad. It is kind of surprising not to see any days, but... Yeah, I think it's probably great against the blue-white fair decks. I I think that it's weak to combo, but when you're playing a deck that doesn't have access to a ton of counterspells, you're, you're leaving yourself open to that. Because... Thoughtseize and Inquisition, while good, aren't aren't something that you can lean on when you don't have access to like a second layer of protection. I think that some of that, that that's definitely true, but I think that some of that might be a little overstated because I did play a league with the the double black Esper build that I I was talking about I think last week where. I'm not playing like True Name or any of the double black spells. I'm only playing 10 blue cards, and I'm playing him and Liliana's in multiples and have six turn one discards and, and eschewing Force Will, obviously, if I only have 10 blue cards. And I actually went 3 2 through a league that was really combo heavy. So I think that some of that might be like an instinctual thing where we're so used to having access to Force of Will that we sort of overestimate the, the percentage of time that we need it. I don't know. That that's just sort of the trip that I'm on right now. Is that that maybe turn one discard is is better than we think, and, and having access to four hymns is better than we think against combo because we're used to having the security of like force will and days. Yeah, but usually you have that with like with clock, and the clock on this deck is <laughs> it's just Wait, it's not there. Where is right? it? I don't even see it. <laughs> you kill somebody with curse scroll. Yeah, creeping one, a one of creeping tar pit. <laughs> Doesn't Jace Rin's prodigy have an ultimate that's like mill them or something? Yeah, <laughs> not not exactly the quickest clock. Yeah, that's true, man. That's a, that's a very valid point, I guess. I All think right. that the Jaces are sweet though. Like they they make your deck do the same thing every game, right? Yeah, that's like, exactly they play a higher land count because you can discard them. Discard excess lands, and you can discard your wastelands in matches where they don't do anything, because you have a pretty, like, your colored mana requirement is pretty strong, so, like, there's an, a real cost to you playing wasteland and stuff, so you can just discard them when they're bad, and that's cool. And then and you flashing can Flashing back all the two-for-ones is, like... Yeah, and it, it lets you play, like, unique things, like recoil, and you know that you don't have to play four recoil, because you have Jace, which can rebuy... Uh, your recoil and give you redundancy on effects that are relevant, you know, because like you are going to need to recoil like Merit Lodge or Jason the Mind Sculptor or whatever some number of the times, but it's nice to just be able to do it again, you know, and then make them discard whatever you want or whatever. That's true. And I think that Jace, it brings a different access to the deck where if your opponent sees it in game one, how much removal do you keep in? Because, like, like Fatal Push, Lightning Bolt aren't 
super great against this deck. You probably keep in the bolts, but if you have swords or or fatal push, how many of those do you bring in or keep in against a deck like this? Well, the thing about it is that you're right. It gives them a really tough decision, but at the same time, it almost doesn't matter how they play it because you have so much discard that you can just discard discard spell them until Jace is the last card in your hand and then play it. Like, you have no creatures in play. You're, they're going to discard their removal spells at the expense of keeping other things, you know? So then you're just... That's, to, yeah, that's absolutely true. Your Jace is always going to be optimized because, like, it's never going to show up until the turn after they discarded their push or swords or whatever. Like, it's just natural for it to work that way. Which yeah, that's cool. a great way to think about it. It It is like, it's ceiling is like cap, because you make them have no cards in hand, then you play Jace, and you flip it, and you flash back some discard spell when they have no cards in hand, which sucks, but, you know, it lets you... It's just a good value card. And, like, you just kill them with, with Last Hope or... Or Liliana the Veil or whatever. I would love to see this deck face off against Miracles. Miracles is such a good top deck deck, though. They yeah. can just, like, brainstorm, hide their Jace two down, like, make their land drops and just put Jace into play as the only card in their hand. Yeah, I think it would be super interesting, the gameplay. But yeah. anyway, the, the next deck that we wanted to talk about that I picked out was, uh, it's by Mental Misstep. Uh, it's a, I don't know. It's like a a blue moon deck. It is like a blue moon deck. It's only got one blood moon in the main, more in the sideboard. It's a, it's a two counterbalance deck, but, but really what it is, is like a, a big blue red deck, which is something that we don't really see. It's got a lot of the cards that overlap with blue red Delver, like four lightning balls, two spell pierce. This deck has a price of progress. Uh, reaching into Dismember for another creature removal spell, a couple of Braids main. But this is like blue-red control, right? You almost expect to see Karanos in this fucking deck. This is it, right? But Bodrios or Bodrios? Oh, oh, no, that's right. Sorry. This must just be blue-red Delver then. It, it was in the Competitive Legacy League. It's in the, the April 13th League, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's in the show notes too if you want to look there. No, I know. My phone is no longer with us. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, so so I, at the uh, MKM this weekend that was in Ghent, there was, I'm not sure if it was the same pilot who was a mental misstep online, but there was a player playing this exact deck. And I had to look up Curfew because that is a card that I have never seen in a Legacy deck before. Okay, I got it. Do either of you know what that card does? Only because it I looked returns, it up. It returns cards to your hand or some sort of creatures to your hand. But I don't remember exactly what it does. What is it? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like an innocent blood only instead of sacrifice, it's return. So that's exactly what it does. So why would you play this card over like, uh, like an unsummon or something? Well, it's symmetric. So you can not only play your the spell to sort of tempo out your opponent to make them bounce an angler or a delver, but you can return your, your snapcaster to your hand. And 
generally with this deck, its creature base is only Snapcaster and True Name. So you're you're using it as a value play more often. And against a Merit Lage, it's an instant speed Innocent Blood. Oh, it's right? instant! Yeah. Yep. No, this card is sick. This card is great in this deck. Yeah, the yeah. One of, the one of Price of Progress threw me, though. Yeah. But this card is kind of cool with, with True Name, too, because you can just, like, they invest three mana on Judgment, and then you invest one mana on bringing this thing back, and then do they have to vote for their own thing? What happens? No, it's I think you can only vote for a card your opponent controls. Okay. Well, you're still pretty likely to only have, like, one threat in play anyway. Absolutely, that. Yeah. So that, that holds true anyway. I mean, it would be really cool if you could make them, like, exile their own Snapcaster or True Name or whatever it would be, but... Uh, but yeah, no, Curfew seems sweet. This deck is weird. Like, I don't think it beats anything that Miracles doesn't beat. Except well, that's the thing. Like, it is, it is kind of Miracles, right? Like, Blue-Red Miracles, but without any Miracles cards, obviously. Without, it might you know, be that- better against Eldrazi, but look at it. We got Brainstorm, Curfew, Bolt, Ponder, Preordain, Pierce, Snare. All of that stuff gets chaliced. A lot of wands. We have I think you gain... You gain a ton of equity with a deck like this, with your opponent not really knowing what's going on. Yeah, your opponent thinks you're playing Delver and you never play a threat. Right, exactly. Like, this is just blue-red Delver, but they cut the Delvers. Like, I don't know if you remember uh, when Treasure Cruise was legal, the best deck was, like, blue-red Delver. Then Ely built a deck where you cut the Delvers and you added, like, Blackland, Baleful Strix, and Dak Faden? Yeah, D- uh, like, Ely, uh, Ely beat me in round 13 in Jersey at the Grand Prix that was down there in like 2013. And man, I was I played I played Jeskai Stoneblade uh with Delver. Like the Pyromancer one, like that BBD won the tournament with? So not that version. It was basically I played Owen's list in DC and did really well. Okay. And just kind of played that deck with Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time. It's that was really. That we're a group of men t- discussing magic who all love Stoneblade. Like, I feel like <laughs> I never had before, and I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> and skateboarding, too. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I, I still funny, Tom, because I played that exact same deck in Jersey. Yeah, yeah I, I went 8-1 and one on day one, and I lost to Royce Walter in a very close storm match. That guy is I lost to Ely. Really good. Yeah, he is, he is very good. Um, I lost to Ely, and I I can't remember what my other loss was, but I I cashed. But I that was my first, like, that was my first 8-1, and one, and I was like, all right, I'm in a position to day two. And then I went, I went three and three. I think there were four thousand people in that Grand Prix. Yeah, it was that that Grand Prix was nuts. Absolutely nuts. Were like a total, like abject disaster. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, this cannot be legal. (laughs) That was such a good time, man. It was, bro. And the the fucking vendor situation there. I was, I was living off that shit. Fucking. I top aided the uh, 
legacy, like, Super Sunday Series qualifier that weekend. I lost in top four to Storm. I was playing, like, BBD's deck, like Pyroblade or whatever with Cruise and stuff. Yep. That That deck was really good. I had a blast playing it. I beat the crap out of, like, Stoneblade and Miracles and stuff all day despite having, like, less lands than they did and less, like, interaction than they did. It was just, like, it was just all... I was good at Legacy back then. That was, like, 2014, right? Yeah. That was before I washed up on the shores, you know? I um, still have my, uh, my like, deck box and sleeves from that event, and I'm, like, waiting for the perfect time to break them out because that was a fucking high-water mark in my life, I'd say. I use, I use those for my pre-releases. Like, my wife was playing at the time, and we both got VIP, so we got extra brainstorm mats <laughs> and extra boxes and sleeves. They're all sitting behind me right now. The sleeves were, like, really bad. Like, I remember them yeah. writing on the edges, like, yeah. super easily, and, like, marking up. And I remember, like, using them in a tournament and, like, having to replace them, like, three or four rounds in. Yeah, mine split on me, too. But they were just so beautiful, man. Mm. Like, the brainstorm shit. I still yeah, have that. Yeah, like, the, a, few, a few months later, they did, like, or maybe a year later, they did, like, the Noble Hierarch. Yeah. Charlotte. It was a modern Grand Prix, and it was like Noble Hierarch deck box, Noble Hierarch sleeves, and like I think those were cool too, but they weren't nearly the same as the Brainstorm setup was like iconic. There that was, was like four thousand people in that tournament, man. Think about that, like it's crazy. There was it was broken into like three tournaments really, and like you, if your friends were in like a different sub tournament than you you just couldn't play them on day one you know i like, like went to look for table one or like you know table one through ten so i could watch the people that were doing well i played delver and scrubbed out but then i i said i top forward with stoneblade on day two which was sweet in the in the side event but on day one i remember looking to watch some friends and like i got over to table one and i was like out of breath <laughs> <laughs> It was like the, the, so ridiculously far away. It was funny. The food situation at that convention center was so bad too. I remember after the tournament was over, having to like drive half an hour to find the nearest diner that was open. Oh, you just have to know where you're at, man. That's that's central New Jersey for you. Uh, you, you yeah, can find, I did. I did not. You can find a diner if you if you look hard. You can find a diner. That's Edison, New Jersey. Like we. I grew up going to PPQs in that general area. There, there's a very famous deli called Harold's, which was like around the corner from like the PDQ venue in like 2003. Was so, it attached to a hotel? Yes, it's attached to a okay. Holiday Inn. Okay, I went there. I got a pastrami sandwich that was like the size of my face. Kevin, yeah. you want to know some bullshit, bro? There's yeah. no fucking delis in Boston. There's no delis in There's Boston? No, they don't fucking understand what a deli is. Like, I talked to my wife when I got here. I was like, where's the fucking delis? Like, what, like and she's like, oh, there's Gio's Roast Beef or whatever the fuck. There's some Greek place. I'm like, no, the fucking deli. Where's the deli where you buy, like, sandwiches? They don't have delis here, bro. It's fucking insane. Dude, they, like, the delis, like, I live in a small town. Kingston is a small town in New York. But, like, it's 10 delis, right? We have legit delis. There's probably, like, yeah, 10 Eight, something like that. Good delis. That's where I grew up, too. Like, you know, Danbury, in that area of Connecticut, there's fucking, there's a deli on the corner of every block, you know? They just don't have them here. I don't know what the fuck is going on. Dude, people are going to be like, 
oh shit, I get to hear a bunch of a bunch of good magic players talk about Stoneblade. And <laughs> like they're talking about fucking delis and whiskey. What the hell is going on? <laughs> um, <laughs> dude, our fans are sick. They they know what the fuck is up. They know we're gonna be drinking heavy. They know they know the party's on. So, bro, have you ever been to the Chance in Poughkeepsie? Hell yeah. That, that's I the have, biggest venue my it, band ever played. I've been injured there because I got too ambitious and went into the mosh pit when I did not know what I was doing and I got hit in the face. I've, I've moshed there plenty of time, man. The, the Chance is the fucking shit. I've seen some good bands there, too. Dude, I saw Converge there and a girl I was friends with got concussed because a person like launched themselves off the balcony and landed on her. Which oh. was like a, it was crazy. Yeah, that's a real balcony, man. So, like, ambulance came and everything. Like, she was, like, seeing stars. Her mom was there. Her mom was mad. It was crazy. Oh. It was was nuts. But the chance is great. Like, they they used to have this show in the early 2000s or mid-2000s called Rhythm Den. And it was just, like, a two-day festival of, like, you know, a hundred bands or whatever. And the one year Converge headlined and this girl I know got like, you know, jumped on from like 20 feet or whatever. But a lot of great bands played like if you were into hardcore, I don't know if you were or not, but a lot of a lot of great hardcore bands played. That- have Have you heard of the band Barrier Dead? Oh, hell yeah. Yes. My, my, yes. my buddy, my buddy, Matt, who I taught how to play magic is the lead singer of that band. Do they have an album and all of the songs? Are Tom Cruise movies. <laughs> so they just came out with a new album like a week ago, and he's like super pumped. He was just over. He brought his kids over to my house yesterday. You fucking crossed the line. Yeah, that. Yup. I fucking love Absolutely. that shit, bro. I was going to ask gone. you if we could start our, our show, our episode with that song. I think Kevin Jones would play. Oh. He just started playing Legacy. Dude, they have a song where they just recite their own name over and over and over. It's like, Barry, you're fucking dead, over and over and over. It's so funny. That band is great because they're legitimately a good heavy band. Like, we loved them when I was a teenager. But they're all That's like, they also awesome. have a sense of humor about how, like, all the absurd posturing of, of hardcore and stuff. So it's Hell funny. Yeah. They're good people for sure. You I gotta check out their new single, man, Collateral. You gotta check that shit out. It's I'll check it out. I saw them in, like, a very small venue, the bottom of the chance, called Club Cranel, and it was just, like, so many sweaty people, like, climbing on each other. It was it was dope. Are you into Hatebreed at all? Uh, they played Hatebreed at, like, my middle school dance, and kids were knocking each other out, so then they, like, shut it off and canceled the dance. <laughs> Dude, there was a cute girl I wanted to dance with. Hatebreed fucking sucks. they got the dance shut down I didn't even play it was like some kid convincing the DJ to put them on it was awful so you miss you miss Hatebreed you're a little on the young side actually I'm a couple couple years older than you and and Hatebreed they were like when I was a freshman they were the seniors or whatever they were uh, they were local to Fairfield County so those are some of the first shows I went to from Connecticut area, I remember like Pale Horse, Hundred Demons. Yep. Those were bands I listened to when I was a kid. Nice. Those, those bands are both from from Western Connecticut, I think. They are, indeed. Um, man, this ended up not being about magic at all, but we're all cool dudes, whatever. <laughs> yeah, fuck it, man. 
Is Russell Are Wilson you going to release this? Like, I'm sorry that I fucked up your episode. <laughs> no, this is this is the best stuff. Like, we, we can sit here and talk about league data and challenge decks and all of that, but like, this is the actual like good shit. Dude, we we gave them legitimate content. Like, we were all googling curfew at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> we, got, we got one more piece of legitimate content, man. Dion de Molay. I do not want oh, this deck. Fuck that deck with the card is... I can't that I didn't know what it was. I was like, don't ask me about this deck <laughs> when we were doing like the pre-show. There's still cards I don't know from this deck. What the fuck is a blasting station? There are two cards I like in this deck. I like Mystic Remora and I like Opposition, and that's only because of Cube. But Opposition. With all of these tokens, that's something. Yo, I would have sworn to God Mystic Remora was not legacy legal before I saw this deck list. I can't believe nobody... It's okay. I thought I, fact, of fiction were, fact or fiction was banned for a while. I did think that. I remember. <laughs> but, yo, this is... This... Bailtrix and Snapcaster Rage and Brainstorm make you be like, ooh, when you look at like a really bad deck. You're like, ooh, Baleful Strike, Snapcaster Mage, and Brainstorm. This deck must be great. And then you realize that, like, there's this fucking Commander card that... <laughs> what the hell? I didn't... The art on this thing is so creepy. It is. Yo, it's fucking sick art. It, it's really, really awesome. I bought, like, five copies of this card when it came out. Oh, it's it's Seb McKinnon. He's a, he's a master. Yo, did you, did you guys see the new art that got released that Seb McKinnon did for the new set? It is the most gorgeous piece of magic art that I've seen. And I got to look up the name of the card, but basically it's like Seb McKinnon Bolas with the black hole in the background having Jace and Ajani and Chandra and Gideon just fucking bowing their heads to him. Is it a tribute to the black hole that was discovered? It, it's Deliver Unto Evil is the name of the card, right? Yes, that's the card. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up. Oh, it looks, it's so sick. Seb McKinnon is doing it. For all us old school players out there, Seb McKinnon is the the one true hope, the last shining light in the world of magic. This art is fucking ridiculous, though. It is. It really is. so different than normal magic art. Like, it looks like it was done with, like, colored pencils. Did you ever see the card Fork from Revised or whatever? I, I am convinced yeah. that card was actually done with colored pencils. Like, if you look at it, it's clearly done with colored pencil, right? I'll have to Google it now. Yeah, the artist, dope. So, this this deck, when Animatsu came out, this one of the cards that I was thinking about the most was Counterbalance, because the plus one on this card, the default mode here, is draw a card, then put a card from your hand on top of your library. So you think that at the time it was pre-accumulated knowledge. We were talking about Predict being a, a, the the engine of the Miracle decks. So you got Counterbalance. You got Predict, cards that are caring about the top of your library. And then you got this card that lets you put cards back on the top of your library while also, you know, drawing a card like a mini brainstorm sort of thing. And it just seemed to fit perfectly with those cards. Then you add in Enlightened Tutor. So I really – I this is not the deck that I had sketched out at all because this is like an Esper Tokens deck. But it has a lot of the cards that I was thinking the most about. So I was really pumped to see this deck 5-0. As far as this I know, this is, is the first so time in a Matusser. It's so different than like what you would expect to be good in Legacy. Like it's just so weird. It is and it isn't, though, right? It has Brainstorm. It has Strix still. It's got Source of Plowshares, like proven yeah. legacy cards in it. 
it but has then it's got like ten other cards. A core, a core, maybe like fifteen or twenty cards. Like what do we have? Four force, four plow, four brainstorm. That's twelve. Two pierce is fourteen. Three strix is seventeen, and two snapcaster. Yeah, so like nineteen cards. There's like a core, a core nineteen or twenty cards. And are there jaces in here? No, but there's uh, counterbalance. There's counterbalance. So yeah. So like one third of the deck is like cards that are in other legacy decks. And then everything that's different is so weird. Lingering Souls, Hidden Stockpile, Opposition, Blasting Station. Like, it's just cool. It's so weird. Fucking Hidden Stockpile, bro. That is a card. And and a lot of these cards are in there. Like, Intangible Virtue, one of. Blasting Station, one of. Mystic Remora, one of. Opposition, one of. These are Enlightened Tutor targets, right? And it's kind of weird they only have one Enlightened Tutor. But it also lets you play in the sideboard a bunch of one-offs, like Seal of Cleansing, Tormod's Crypt, Ether Sworn Canonist. Like, <laughs> you can find all of those one-offs with the scry from Hidden Stockpile 2. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, you can. The can ultimate on this card is like... <laughs> left or right. Each player gains control of all non-land permanents other than Anamatu the Fate Shifter, controlled by the next player in the chosen direction. So when this card comes out, are both players like just yeah. like I don't know, like shifting all their stuff over? <laughs> like what are you supposed to do? I read that and I was just like, okay, I'm just going to disregard this and never read this again because it made no sense to me, like how I was going to break parity on that or whatever. So what is what is the left and what is the right? Like down the middle of the battlefield? I don't understand it. Well, so in Commander, it would be like in turn order, but for Legacy, it would literally be you exchange all non-land permanents you control with your opponent. So you prescribe to the rounder theory then, I'm guessing, if you assume your opponent is to your left. Oh, you're saying this is like a multi... Oh, it's because it's a multiplayer card. So you switch permanence with the person to your left in a multiplayer game or whatever. Yes. I thought it meant like the left or right side of the battlefield. (laughs) Like Raging River? I'm like, do you have a tape measure or like a level to make sure that the battlefield (laughs) doesn't have... Like, I know that your opponent plays this, and you start like moving your per- your lands back, trying to confuse them. Like it's so weird. Oh man, at least that segment was funny and not at a. All that, all that can get printed. It's good. That would be a fucking card, bro. If it, if it was just like. Animatu, the equator maker, or whatever the fuck, and you had a chaos orb all your permanence to the left or right. Your opponent, like, your opponent sits down, and you know how, like, when they have, like, a red deck box and red sleeves, you're like, oh, you must be playing burner goblins. Like, I'm really smart. I've made the soul read. Yeah. Your opponent sits down, they have, like, a tape measure, a level, <laughs> and, you're here, and you're like, fuck, I can never beat Esper, and you just drop. <laughs> Holy fuck, man. So, all right, I'm going to read the card Blasting Station. I, I still don't know what this does. Oh, this is Fifth Dawn? Right, Fifth Dawn, yes. It's Helmet. Yeah, Helmet, the set. It's got. It's a three-drop. It's Trinosphere casting cost. Sacrifice a creature. Blasting Station deals one damage to target creature or player. Whenever another creature comes into play, you may untap Blasting Station. This is, yeah. a, good, this is a good hidden stockpile card. 
There was a card called Beacon of Creation from Fifth Dawn. Okay. It was like, make a 1-1 token for each land you control. So, like, the combo was you would play this Beacon card, make, like, five or six 1-1s, and just machine gun your opponent's board. Yo, why the fuck do you not free roll Thopter Sword in this deck? Oh, you could! And you would untap this thing every time, right? Yeah, a lot of these cards have good synergy with Thopter Sword. Enlightened Tutor. Um, I mean, Baleful Six. Opposition. Intangible. Oh, no, Intangible Virtue fucks that shit up, right? Intangible Virtue makes them all two-twos. Yeah, that kind of... That kind of sucks for the combo part of it. Well, no, you just put a bunch of them in. Oh, because you can't do it anymore. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, you only have one intangible virtue. You can just hold it until you combo off, and then you can play it. Yeah, I would be not shocked to see this as a Thopter Sword deck in like its best iteration, but I'm fucking pumped to see this deck. I'm pumped to see Eminatu. That was a card I was really excited about, and I'm actually fucking seeing it in a deck that actually fucking 5 would So... Congrats, uh, Dion de Molay. You get our star of the fucking week for this list, and we appreciate it. Dude, this deck is so bizarre, but I'm with it. Like, it's cool. I would love to sleeve Mystic Remora for a fucking tournament. I would I would just absolutely love it. I, I really like that card. So, all right. You, you guys... Okay, first, oh. Yeah, oh, Mystic Remora, you reading it for the first time? I remember that it... I remembered loosely what it did, like, yeah. I thought it, it, like, punished them for playing non-creature spells. I just remember the art, because the art is literally a remora. Like, a remora is a small fish that swims alongside a shark. It's a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. I, I did not know that that's what a remora was, but I remember the artwork. I played that in Standard. Wow. It's a, it's a symbiote. That, that was a long time ago. <laughs> you would have upkeep as a dope ability. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's one way to put it. it it's it's donating, like donating illusions of grandeur when I was like ten years old. Like my brother was telling me about that deck when I first learned how to play, and I was like, "Wait, so <laughs> you're giving stuff to your opponent? That seems bad." And he was like, "But wait," and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah." <laughs> Bro, people are still so, donating illusions at a old school table near you, middle school. But anyway, is uh, is there anybody that you wanted to uh, shout out or whatever, Kevin? Wait, hold up. We got more cast notes really quickly. Previous guest Rodney top aided with Rug Delver Punishing Fire. Oh, so it's basically Rug Delver with a couple of groves and some punishing fires, but I thought that was a unique twist on it. And also, our patron, Yo, was in the deck dump as well. With Agrolome, right? Basically Agrolome. Like, just, I wanted to give them a shout out. Absolutely. And MW, uh, (laughs) 94GA, the Japanese player, who we basically got a ton of information from with the Blue White Delver deck, is now down to two Niv Magus Elemental with basically the same build. And I also wanted just to say, man, 
from the chat that I'm in with a bunch of like like legacy ringers, the white Eldrazi deck has been performing very well. That's terrifying deck, man. I've lost to it. I think every time I play it. Teamer Delver Bedell. Yep. Yes. Yeah, Rodney's yep. a cool dude. I know that guy. Yeah, Rodney. Okay, so the game store that I used to work in and run tournaments at, Rodney used to come in as like an 11, 12-year-old kid, and now he fucking travels the world and plays in every Grand Prix, and he's he's one of my favorite Magic people. Rodney is great. Yeah, we roomed together for Louisville. It was... Oh, that's awesome. It was me, Harlan, Rodney, and Phil Kwan. You know Phil Kwan? I, I do not know Phil. Phil always plays Eldrazi, but he he's he's cool. He's PCK on Moto. Okay, he plays that's awesome. Eldrazi all the time. Yep. So this this deck this this white Eldrazi deck is a fucking beating, bro. For for the decks that I'm usually playing. Yep. I I so, get my shit pushed in by this deck. So this is this is like a. A really clean build. It's all like fours and and twos. Uh, there's two smugglers copter, one jit, and I think he's only playing three three cost Thalia. Yeah, but everything which else is, is a four, which is a great nod to the fact that it's legendary. And smugglers copter is a card that I overlooked when I was trying to build this deck. I I did have palace jailer, but this deck is is lighter on white mana than I was. And the- so he's actually he's actually playing the. Two, four, three, and a white monarch card in the sideboard that doesn't palace jailer because the oh. white sources are are less. I didn't realize so he this wanted was that monarch. effect, but he couldn't get double white. Nice man, I, I totally missed this card, Palace Sentinels. Yes, that's the card. I had to look that up when he posted the list. Tom, is this your deck? And like, is this, this is the Japanese guy you were talking about? MW yes, so MW94GA is the person who I originally got the list that I tweaked. Yeah, yeah. So I had cut down to one Niv Magus and split the four flusters to two Pierce, two flusters, and a Spell Snare. And that's the list that I ran in uh, in Syracuse. Yeah. He's got he's got a blog that I have to read through in uh, with Google Translate. And every time it Google translates, true name nemesis comes up true name Larry. <laughs> and I don't know why this happens, but fucking true name has been true name Larry to me ever since. That's very funny. So you never played the sword, though, man. Did You played the JIT, right? Yeah, I was always Batterskull JIT. This dude loves sword. not deviated. He has not deviated from Batterskull sword. What do you make of Daryl Ayers 5-0-ing with D&T? That's very weird, right? I I, th- I feel like that means that all of the loam decks are probably unplayable. That he is he's playing Death and Taxes. Yeah, it's very weird. I might have been part of this five zero because he he raised me. Isn't Casey Lancaster right? I don't know. Do you know Casey Lancaster? No, I do not. He's from I think he's from Maine. He's a lands player. He's very good. Hmm. He teams with Evan Whitehouse and Kane Reinhardt for, like, team opens. Okay. Okay. I don't know him. Yeah, no, he's a Lance player. He's good. So I thought maybe K- KCC was him. He could be. I don't know. LeJay is LeJay is a grinder, too. He's I'm a like, – Yeah, I he's think he's in from France. France. Yeah. Yep. 
Gratorp is also a grinder. I've seen both of these names before. Samwise GG is wait, who Jar- is that? Jar- Jarvis. That's Jarvis. That's Jarvis. Okay, there we go. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff in here. Yeah, I mean, it's the week before a Grand Prix, right? So you're going to see a lot of people that you wouldn't normally see, like, you know, people who are more grindery uh, playing Legacy because they're testing, right? I had to look and see what white, blue, black, red, green was. It is a bizarre Omnitel deck. White, blue, Maybe just- yeah, was that was that the one with Limdell's Vault? It was basically Omnitel with some splashes. Yeah, Limdahl's Vault, and then the sideboard has, I guess it's just a wishboard, right? But it's like Cryptic Command, Massacre, Murderous Cut, Firemind's Foresight, Release the Amps. Yep. Oh, it's considered five color because there's one Eladomri's Call. Yep. Yeah, that's kind of BS. So this KCC deck... KCC like, that you were talking about earlier, though, this deck is fucking sick. I've never seen this deck. Which deck? The KCC deck that you were talking about. KC. It's Golgari Depths, right? Well, it is, but it's is playing a lot of cards that you don't normally see, like for, like Knight of the Reliquary, for example, and uh, Forcer Ple- Proofix. Yeah, Forcer. It's it's playing like uh, Bitter Blossom, Miri's Guile in the main, uh, Raven's Crime. Collective brutality, like this is the most mid rangey I've seen depths go before. This is, cool. this is like the exact type of deck that David Long would mulligan to five and crush me with. <laughs> yeah, this is sick, man. Turning like turning uh oh. depths into a green sun deck. So Bob Huang went six one in the challenge with a Golgari depths deck. And it's it's built very differently. Yeah, it's like turbo depths. Yeah, his his is might like much more standard yeah this is stock i thought maybe it, if if like bob's deck was was the weird one like this one i was gonna be like oh maybe this deck exists as a thing that like we should worry about but and there's such a sick entomb package in this deck you've got a riftstone portal a raven's crime a life from the loam and uh which other card did i just see well, anyway, th- those three for sure. Like that—that's. I mean, in tomb, in tomb for loam. Yeah, is, is, is probably what you're doing mode, the majority yeah. of the time. Yeah, but having at those outs of those other cards, or if you already have loam going to be able to get your your ghost quarter out of your deck, or you know whatever card you need, your bazooka bog or your cabal pit, or yeah. or just your stage depths. Like this lets two, you shave on stage depths without really two hex mage. I don't know, man. That's I know what, it opens up. It opens up a huge amount of like your mid range capability, but I don't think that I would ever consider playing a deck like this ever. It is pretty sick though to go down to one safekeeper, go up to two green suns, and not be compromising anything, you know? Sure, but like you're playing Miri's Guile over Sylvan Library. That part I don't know about, but I, I don't know what that's about. Five O. Yeah, five O. I feel like not many people are playing Esper Blade. So like, kind of cool if it went five zero. Yeah, for sure. And I like I like that it was a clean list. It's super stock, and then it has like all the good sideboard cards that Blue White Blade doesn't have. Vindicate, Zealous Persecution, uh, Deluge, and so on. Like this, yeah. this deck is much better against 
This deck is much better against, like, Trinity Nemesis. Yeah, and that's why I might play this deck, honestly. But it doesn't play nearly as many Trinity Nemesis. Yeah, I would. For for what it's worth, I'll play less Snap, more True Name. You play less Snap? I would. But like, I, I keep getting choked on my Snapcasters lately, I, and I don't know what that what yeah. that's about. The, the reason why this deck is good, though, is because the instants and sorceries in the sideboard are incredibly impactful, yeah. and three Snapcasters for redundancy with your impactful sideboard cards. So if yeah. Snapcasters, you're making your Zealous Persecutions worse, which means like you're making the impact of your sideboard cards mitigated, which means you should probably just be playing blue white, right? Yeah, probably. But there's also like the the option of playing blue white red. But I, I'm playing definitely more permanence than like this person's on three surgical attraction. Like they're trying to max out their their snapcaster, right? Well, they, so. this one has two extractions. Oh fuck! I'm looking at Rich Shea's deck, dude. No, Alvis Esper mid range by Alvis. It yeah, looks I, I got it now. Yeah. It's like the board is like two fluster, two Nile, two Pierce, two Surgical, two Deluge, two Vindicate, a Disenchant, a Zealous, and a Jace. And then it's 24 lands with one of each basic. Yeah, yeah this is ball. this is really close to what I'd be playing. I would be cutting one Strix, one, one Snapcaster for two more true names. I would probably just cut one Strix for a second true name. Um, yeah. I'm I'm 100% on board with less than four strikes at this point. It's just, like, so hard to kill people otherwise. Yeah. And, like, if you randomly get Chalice on two, your entire deck is shut off. Like, this deck that's, doesn't that's play... That's a problem. This deck doesn't play a judgment, so if they Chalice you on one and then Chalice you on two, you probably can't win. Yep. Two Deluge, huh? That That's interesting. That's I mean, something it's possible, I, but, like, you just still end up getting stuck with cards in your hand, because, like, Blue-Red Delver has Pierce, Fluster, Wasteland, like, and you have to work hard to get, to get like, these... Like, I don't know if this deck is better than Blue-White. It's certainly not better against, uh... Well, it does have four Wastelands, though. Huh. Yeah, I'm gonna eat my words on this. I I uh I think this is an interesting list. I might run through a league. So this is one thing that's good about the twos, is that with all these twos, you can go two drop, two drop plus wasteland, which yeah. is cool. You know th- that sequence is good. But like, how much better are you against combo because you have two thought pieces in your deck and two inquisitions? A lot better, because you don't have any other ones, right? Like, your only other option would be, like, holding up something like Pierce. So, it, well, you're you very naked on turn same, one. You have all the same ones that the blue-white deck has, except you also have four discard spells. And you have way less true names, and no council's judgments, and no back-to-basics. And instead of being, like, a more consistent mid-range deck with inevitability, you're, like a more Jundy mid-range deck with, like, early interaction, which might be off, but might be valuable, you know? Yeah. So it's really interesting. But, like, everyone has been playing Blue-White Blade, and almost nobody has been playing this. Yeah, and it, it really doesn't seem like it's picked up, so... 
Yeah, I mean, um, this deck is cool. Like, I want this deck to be good. Dogsies is freaking awesome in the mirror. Yep. You just get to Stoneforge, and then, like, they don't get to Stoneforge until turn three. So, like, if you're on the play, like, you get to Stoneforge, and then, like, you get to True Name after the turn they Stoneforge, because they don't have Counterspell up, or, uh, and they only have Force. It's sweet. I don't know. It's interesting. It's very weird, though, like, the way that this deck is built. One True Name, four Baleful Strix. Like, this deck is built in such a way that, like, you, you need your Stoneforge to resolve. I'll agree with that. Not need, but, like, it's it's it seems like it's predicated on the fact that, like, you're thought-seizing away an answer to Stoneforge. And, like, when you're not doing that, you're just, like, playing, like, a control deck. Like You're, you're, not, you're not clocking otherwise, yeah. Yeah, and you have Swords to Plowshares in your deck as a four of, and you're trying to kill people with one ones and two ones. Yep. Like, you're just giving them extra turns, you know? And there's no sword main to, uh, sideboard either. Yeah, I mean, with a flyer like Baleful Strix, I really want a sword. Exactly. But, yeah, I mean, this person 5-0, you know, there, there might be something there. I mean, I, I'm definitely going to try it, because I haven't played Wasteland yeah. in this deck in a while. But, like, we're not doing that, like, you know? Like, it's interesting because it's 5-0'd, and we want to figure out, like, what they're doing differently. But do I think this deck is bad? I don't know. Probably not. Do I think it's constructed differently than the things that have been proven to be good? Absolutely. So that's interesting. You know? It certainly beats the hell out of Delver. Well, you would think so until (laughs) you have to fetch C for Strix and you get Wastelanded or whatever. Yeah, like, you want to fetch planes for Stoneforge, so the turn after you play Stoneforge, they can't wasteland your white source, but you can't fetch planes and also cast Strix on curve. So you probably fetch Island, Ponder, Scrubland. and fetch Scrubland, cast Strix, your Strix resolves, you get wastelanded, you're back to one land, you fetch planes, and then, like, all your black cards are shut off, and you have to fetch Swamp the next turn... It's just so you, draw, you draw a flood and strain at that point. You've played this deck obviously before because you know how all my matches go now. So <laughs> I played Esper Stoneblade for years. Yeah. My first ever SCG Open Top Eight was with Esper Stoneblade. Very I had nice. four Lingering Souls in my main deck, <laughs> three Parishes in my sideboard. That sounds like pretty true. And I just racked them every turn for like four turns in a row. <laughs> and my opponent was just so demoralized. I was like. Zealous, perish, supreme verdict. Zealous, perish. Like, verdict might not even have been legal. It might have just been Wrath of God. Or I had Terminus in my deck. I had, like, two Terminus in the sideboard at one point. Jesus Christ. I was good. My, my Soulblade deck was good. I was good with it. Nice, man. It's it's the most fun deck that I ever play. Like, I, I enjoy this deck the most, so. And, like, I played it in an Envy, and I think I won every round in my Legacy portion on day one, and I was borrowing my friend James's deck, and I don't know if you guys know James, but James has foreign black bordered or beta dual lands, foil Japanese, everything else. My deck was like $20,000. So I was shuffling it like, oh my <laughs> god. You know? Very carefully. 
after day one, he was like, give me the deck back. Like, don't carry it between day one and day two. And I was like, fine. <laughs> I don't want that responsibility or whatever. So if people want to get in touch with you to talk more about Legacy, and is there anything else that you want to bump? Like, your your Players' Championship push, any yeah, content yeah, sure. that you're doing? So, Our um, city. I will bump the following things. I do... I play Magic, sponsored by a store called The Bearded Dragon. We have an online store. Uh, you can buy stuff on our TCG or whatever. Um, I do social media content for them and stuff, too. So if you see a funny meme that The Bearded Dragon shared, that might have been me. Um, shout out to them for helping me afford tournaments and stuff. And then I write biweekly, so once every two weeks, for Star City Games on the premium side. You can find me. Probably writing about standard, probably writing about mediocre blue cards, but see if I can throw legacy in there once in a blue moon. Um, so that's where you can find me. I'm at KJ vs. the Highway on Twitter, and I go to most of the Northeast stuff, and I'll occasionally get delusional and drive to the Deep South <laughs> trying to get gold and fail miserably or whatever, but, you know, life. Bro, um, do you just drive to all the events? Like, are I, you yeah, exclusively a driver? I drove to Florida because I always had it in my head that it would be cool to drive to Florida. <laughs> was it cool? Yeah, it was. What do you do? Do you just throw on music? Audiobooks, podcasts, music. Okay, all right. Um, you check out the dead format sometime. Yeah, yeah, no, I'll listen to you guys for sure. <laughs> um, I went meant to listen to like. Eric Virgo and Cyrus did a podcast. I don't remember the name of it, but like I've known Eric top Virgo top down legacy. And Cyrus is a cool dude, so I thought I would listen to them possibly too. They, I actually just listened to it this morning. It was their last episode ever. What is their show called? Or what was their show called? Top down. Top down legacy. Top down legacy. Well, what's his? Uh, Eric is is hiking some sort of like Appalachian trail. Yes, he is. He is. He posted a picture of like. His, his, like, pack, like, all of his supplies. And someone was like, you forgot your, your foiled-out legacy deck. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, yeah, that's, like, that's going to take, like, uh, something like nine months or something like that. So Cyrus was saying he's not going to, like, find a replacement host. So maybe they'll pick it up again, like, nine months from now, maybe not. But, yeah, they're, they're on hiatus for now is what I understood. There's another dude uh, from the, the upstate New York or western New York area. Um, I think his name is Ning. Ning Lee? I might have messed up his name. C. Ning Lee or Ning Lee? And he was a very, very good storm player. And he, like, biked across the country. Jesus. Wow. Yeah, we don't do that shit. We order Domino's and we fucking drink. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But anyway, if you want to get in touch with Tom on Twitter, uh, how should they do that? Dead format cast, or you can get in touch with actual me at tsmileymtg. What about you, Ian? Just for clarity, have you deleted say, your Twitter yet? Both of them are actually you. I have not deleted my Twitter yet. I'm still addicted to that dopamine hit. So Jack Dorsey has me by the fucking ball sack. Ian eighteen one twenty five, and you can email the cast deadformatcast at gmail and, uh, yeah, anything else, fellas? I'm good. Yo, thank you guys for having me. That was a blast.
right, bros. That that was so that much was, fun. That was a blast, dude. And thank you so much for coming on. And I uh, can't wait to fucking see you up in Niagara.